Good afternoon. It's Friday the 23rd of July, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the programme, Patrick. Great to be with you, Mike. Uh, and uh, well, we're getting straight on with the pandemic. It is here, Patrick. Uh, and uh, well, we've been talking about this for a few days, although the pandemic term is, uh, has now become mainstream headline. Uh, on Monday's programme, I think it was, we mentioned that uh, people saying that we were not coming out of lockdown at all because, in fact, we were just substituting one kind of lockdown for another. Uh, some people saying that uh, 1.7 million people had been pinged uh, and therefore expected to self-isolate and stay in their homes. So you can see this poor woman is terrorized here, Mike, but she's terrorized not by COVID, but by the, uh, the app, by the fear of being pinged. We have a virtual pandemic happening now thanks to the wonders of technology. Absolutely. Now, 1.7 million was the number that was being bandied around on, on uh, Monday. Uh, the BBC today saying more than 600,000. So is it clear what that means? Does that mean 600,001 people or does it mean 1.7 million? It's pretty unclear what that means, but there you There's go. That's a big the discrepancy between 1.7 million and 600,000, right? Yes. It's a little bit of, it's beyond the margin of error, you could say, right? So that's <laughs> uh, the number of people that have been told to uh, self-isolate by the COVID-19 app itself. So perhaps the disparity is other people that have been phoned up by Circo personnel uh, to uh, to be told personally. That Twice as many people by, by those numbers, right? Yes. So how, how do we know who to believe? Do we trust the government's claims on any of the statistics or the data? Uh, well, of course, one of the main problems that has arisen out of this is apparently the uh, supermarket shelves are empty. We'll be coming on to that in a moment. But in the meantime, Patrick, how has this happened? Well, it's, the, it, it's, it's just, it can go anywhere. And the pandemic's hitting households. We see reports of uh, the Bluetooth is pinging people through walls. And so this is gonna confuse a lot of people, Mike, and nobody more so than, well, there's the app there, but nobody more so than Coroni himself is completely confused by this whole scenario. And not only that, we've got traffic, Mike. There's reports of the possibility here. I mean, you, you, we're talking about what, two meters? Yes. Distance on Bluetooth. So again, it's the app terrorizing drivers as well. So what, do, what should people do? Can you escape the pandemic? Well, this is all thanks to our dear leader, Mike, uh, Boris Johnson there, who's marshalling this great success of uh, COVID response here. And again, this is just leaving more confusion for our friend uh, Caroni uh, as well. So where, where are we heading now? Look, the problem with the tech, Mike, is not a new question. Mm. We, we can go right back. I have a bevy of reports here. Bluetooth bugs are making contact tracing apps spit out tons of errors. This is Wired Magazine uh, back in the fall. And then again, just another report here, NHS app, why the COVID track and trace app's reliance on Bluetooth makes it completely unreliable, according to experts. And we're talking about Bluetooth, so it's got a range of 10 uh, to 30 meters. So there's, how, how could they be accurate on two to three meters in terms of calculating that? The answer is they can't. That's correct. Because of radio waves and the nature of radio waves. So the whole thing, this whole, this whole idea behind the NHS app and track and trace and making it all digital is very dodgy technology, Mike, and it's hardly accurate. And it's actually destroying and terrorizing the lives of many people who are worried if they can actually go to work, uh, if they're gonna have to stay home, lose income, and all sorts of other disruptions in their personal life as well. Uh, indeed, and of course, uh, we've got to go back to the start of July 
to see how this has happened because this is the BBC and they've got a nice little video clip with Grant Shapps on their NHS COVID app may change as rules change, Grant Shapps says. Um, so let's have a look at what he actually said. As our restrictions change, of course, the app needs to change. Things like replacing the one metre plus rule on the 19th of July might well lead to a review of the way the app itself needs to function. Many people have been talking, uh, suggesting that the app sensitivity has been turned up uh, in time for the 19th of July. Um, and that seems to be the case. But Grant Shap certainly seems to be suggesting uh, that that's something that the government was looking at. Uh, and it looks like that's what they have implemented. So if uh, people are suffering as a result of uh, hypersensitivity of this app, never mind the, the you know, the, the, the limitations of Bluetooth as a, as a technology in the first place, uh, well, perhaps this is uh, part of the explanation as well. So we need to change the rules. So the rules weren't good enough uh, when they rolled it out, Mike? Is, no. that, is that what he's admitting? No, no, because now that, now that the, uh, you know, there's much more uh, freedom for people to get close to one another, ah. uh, then we've got to be making sure that we capture everyone uh, that might have been in contact with someone who might have had maybe a PCR test that tested positive for uh, one of several variants. Maybe we should stop people from having conversations in passing. Actually, they're they're trying that down under. We'll get to that uh, later on yes. uh, in our report, Mike. So, but you talked about empty uh, supermarket shelves here, and so here we go. We've been the Times has announced, Mike, that the fear is over because food supply staff are freed from COVID quarantine. So we saw these sort of reports about empty supermarket shelves. Whether those are true or not, we'll show you in a minute. But again, what do we see here? What's going on? There's two rules for essential and non-essential. So if you're essential, you don't have to isolate. You, you're, you're clear of the pandemic, uh, so you're safe from the pandemic. But if you're non-essential, you go in with the sort of the... Uh, the, the great what, unwashed. The great unwashed, very good. Pinged workers don't have to isolate here. This is the Guardian uh, again, Mike. So the same sort of thing. Uh, and it doesn't even stop with key workers. I think this probably extends to government as well, right? So then the question is, uh, are the supermarket shelves uh, empty? Are the supermarket sh your, your supermarket shelves empty? I've been in a few supermarkets in the last couple of days, not to buy anything, of course, just browsing. But <laughs> all the shops shelves are full, Mike. So where, where are all these empty shelves? Where are these Soviet bread lines coming from? I don't know. Uh, well, the BBC on the 10 o'clock news last night was absolutely clear about it. Uh, so here, let's have a little uh, look at an excerpt here. We're not going to listen to this because nobody wants to hear it. Uh, but this is all about coronavirus self-isolation. Uh, and you can see they had nice images here uh, of the empty shelves. Um, this is fantastic stuff. Empty boxes of fruit. Em shocking. Absolutely shocking. This We've got to be afraid because we're not going to get... Uh, and look at this, empty shelves. Poor everywhere. guy here scratching his head. Scratching Mike. his head because there's nothing to get. And they, they then went to George Eustace who explained the nature of the problem. Now, if anybody was watching that closely, uh, they might have spotted something. So let's uh, come back to the previous scene and just take a still from that. What's the problem with this picture, Patrick? Well, let's have a look. It was 30 what degrees yesterday in London, uh, 30, certainly around 30 degrees in other parts of the country. And yet this guy seems to be wearing a fleece. And if we head down to the people at the back here, they've got winter coats on. You've got a, a Russian hat on even, the guy in the back. Yeah, so uh, cold. So I'm sorry, BBC, but once again, you've been caught with your pants down because you're presenting an image of empty shelves, which has not been happened. It's not reality. It hasn't happened yesterday. You haven't sent your reporters out with your four billion pound uh, uh, budget in order to get shots of empty shelves yesterday. 
you chose to take some archive footage from what, from March last year, whenever the first lockdown kicked in, uh, when the shelves were actually empty for a couple of weeks. In, in. Uh, and you've presented it as if it is happening now. And once again, Patrick, we have the BBC doing something. Uh, they've got their disinformation expert uh, in Marianne Spring. Is she going to be investigating her colleagues here? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, it's just outright bad propaganda. In the BBC's defense, they'll probably say that the reason they were bundled up, Mike, is because they were standing in the poultry section and the, you know, the refrigeration was, was turned up because of the heat, and that's how they'll get out of that. So they knew they were going into the fridge section, <laughs> so they brought a coat along with them, is that it? Yeah, right. and, a, and a Russian hat, a furry hat. Yeah, everything. good. Okay. So, well, thank you for clarifying that. I'm yeah, feeling much better now. I'm, 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 I'm pining for a job with the, the disinformation department yes. at the BBC. Okay. So, so where does that take us? What about school children then? Well, here, this is a new Oxford study here uh, suggesting, they're not suggesting, they're saying that forcing children to self-isolate is needless, basically. So then they're, they're sort of falling back, Mike, on the idea that testing uh, is, is sufficient. You don't need to have this whole, send the whole class home if they've been in touch or in contact or in close proximity with somebody who tested positive. But again, it, it, this is the establishment's kind of controlled opposition position. Uh, instead of saying that it's ridiculous to do mass testing on children all the time and how disruptive this is, not just to schools, but to society in general, mm. to families, households, everything. They're, they're, they're backing off on the isolation, but saying, no, but just, just keep testing. Mm -hmm. And so, but the problem is that it, it's, the problem's not going to disappear by doing that. And so the problem is mass testing. That's the problem. And the provenance of the testing is wildly inaccurate and is actually not fit for purpose, and it can never be considered as any kind of legitimate diagnostic test. That's what the real science says. This is what many of the experts around the world have said repeatedly uh, for the past uh, 15 months or whenever since they've been using PCR tests, and governments have completely ignored it, and the media have given them a totally a free pass on this. And even some of these establishment think tanks doing these studies, um, they're not bringing in the problem with the, the, it, the testing itself is corrupted mm -hmm. because the tests themselves are not diagnostic tools. They're not even close to being diagnostic tools. Um, okay, so the question in my mind is what kind of winter are we gonna have? And I have to say that I think it's gonna be pretty grim, but we'll, I'll explain why I say that now, but we're gonna start off here with Imperial College. Uh, and this is from the uh, 15th of July. And it says winter viruses and COVID-19 could push NHS to breaking point, new, uh, warns new report. Now, the key point here is the NHS is already at breaking point. It's already full. Uh, and so any additional capacity problems over the winter is going to cause the NHS problems. We'll come on to why that is in a second. Uh, so what are they saying here is that COVID-19 influenza and the respiratory virus, uh, respiratory uh, syncytial virus, RSV, could push the NHS to breaking point this winter, a new report says. The report from the Academy of Medical Sciences draws on expertise from imperial academics, including Professor Azra Ghani, Wendy Barclay, and Peter Openshaw, among leading researchers from other institutions and members of the public. The report, uh, looking ahead to the winter of 2021-22 and beyond, aims to forecast the greatest risks to health this winter and was commissioned by the government's chief scientific advisor, Sir Patrick Vallance. And they say that the risks include a potential surge in respiratory viruses, uh, potentially a current, uh, having to continue to deal with the current 
what they describe as third wave of COVID-19, as well as multiple subsequent outbreaks between summer of 2021 and spring of 2022, meaning that the NH NHS cannot catch up with the backlog of routine care. Uh, and they say the NHS is already under pressure, so it's likely to be, be less able to cope. Um, and they also hi uh, hi highlight, sorry, uh, worse physical and mental health in the UK uh, population, including that due to delayed diagnosis and treatment and other impacts of the pandemic. Now, it shouldn't be, it should be pretty obvious to people as I was uh, reading through that, um, that of course, everything that they've identified there, and we'll be making this point again in a second, everything they've identified there has been as a direct result of lockdown itself, right? So uh, what is RSV? Well, here's the Guardian. Parents urged to look out for RSV and other infections uh, for children. Um, RSV is, uh, well, the World Health Organization has estimated in 2017 that RSV causes around 33 million serious respiratory infections a year, uh, and this causes more than 3 million hospitalizations and nearly 60,000 deaths in children under five uh, years of age every year uh, in a global population of seven and a half billion, right? So 60,000 deaths out of seven and a half billion is what we're looking at here. That's the scale of it, but we've got to be extremely scared of it. This winter, it's coming to get us, Patrick. Of course, it's not coming alone. It's coming in uh, cahoots with Caroni himself. Joining forces. And joining forces with uh, Influenza A and B. This reminds me of WWF wrestling tag teams, Mike. Yes, this is exactly what's going on. So here is the CDC talking about uh, RSV uh, and saying, you can read that for yourself if you want. Uh, it's basically usually causes mild cold-like symptoms. Mild. So where is the fear? What, where's the reason for fear? There is no reason for fear here. How many of the deaths caused by RSV happened in countries where basically there is no healthcare, where there's no standard of living, where actually the biggest problem for the people that are living there is probably malnutrition more than anything else. Uh, and uh, But we've got to be worried that RSV is going to kill us this winter. Now, let's just uh, remind ourselves what Sajid Javid said about NHS waiting lists, and this is why I think the winter season this year is going to be grim. The NHS is already at full capacity. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, Sajid Javid said, what shocked me the most was when I was told that the NHS waiting list is going to be a lot worse before it gets better. It's gone up from 3.5 million to 5.3 million as of today. And I said to officials, so what do you mean a lot worse? Thinking maybe it goes from 5.3 million to 6 million or 7 million. They said, no, it's going to go up by millions. It could go up as high as 13 million. Hearing that figure of 13 million is absolutely focused my mind. It's going to be one of my top priorities to deal with because we can't have that. So basically, as I say, this, uh, this waiting list situation has come about as a direct result of lockdown policy and what has been done to the NHS in the last 14 or 15 months. So if we just put this together uh, and look at the government media narrative, they are saying uh, social distancing and mask wearing has made our immune systems forget about other respiratory illnesses because COVID. Uh, COVID has meant that influenza has disappeared. COVID has meant that RSV has disappeared, but they're coming back with a vengeance this year. And because we have been social distancing, Patrick, and wearing masks, our immune systems have forgotten, just magically forgotten about these other things which are going to come back and kill us this winter. Influenza and RSV are resurgent, resulting in a triple whammy this winter. Everyone will die, be afraid. Well, if anyone dies this year, Patrick, as a result of uh, RSV, 
influenza, COVID-19. These are lockdown deaths. These are deaths caused by the fact that the NHS has a waiting list which is only going up, that people are not getting treatment for the acute problems that they are suffering from. People are not getting treatment for the mental health problems that they're suffering from. And these things are causing bigger problems than COVID ever did. Uh, and that has been ignored because everybody's focus is on COVID, on influenza and on RSV. And none of these things is going to hit us any harder this year than any other year. Uh, what is going to hit us hard is the fact that there is no health care available for anyone. Yeah, COVID tricked the flu, it tricked RSV to, to not show up the last winter. But the viruses are intelligent and they've adapted. They've gained new, new functions, Mike. So, but you're right, Mike. So save the NHS. You remember that was the clarion call. Save the NHS. And what did they do? They destroyed the NHS. If you have a 13 million waiting list, which by the, the growth of that stat looks like it's very it's likely to happen, if, if it hasn't happened already, by the way, and right. they're actually underreporting right now. Right. They've, that's the end of the NHS as any kind of functional national health system. And, and it will take years to catch up, maybe what, five, six years? Well, it can well, never some, catch up for people, as long as they maintain these policies. Some people will don't have five, six years for them to get their act together. Right. And this is the, the great work of the government up to this point, Mike. So the, the winter, they've throttled NHS services. That's the number one problem with this government policy. So you're, you're absolutely correct. They've gamed the pandemic, Mike. They've created a situation where they have another crisis waiting on a silver platter, ready to be served this winter to use as justification for more draconian policies. Again, save the NHS, clap for the carers, whatever. This is the same script being rerun again, and it's government policy. That's the source of everybody's problems. It's not a coronavirus. It is government policy from day one. Look at the statistical breakdown. Look at the risk uh, with regards to who's really at risk. The average age of a COVID death, tracking perfectly with life expectancy, so, tracking perfectly. So who's the problem? Is it a coronavirus or is it a government policy? Well, I'm arguing it's the government policy. Now, of course, last year they built Nightingale Hospitals, uh, Patrick, in order to uh, uh, take the load off the NHS. Those were never used. And part of the reason they were never used was uh, the uh, alleged NHS staffing crisis. Uh, but of course, in the meantime, we've had staff leaving the NHS because they don't like uh, the policies that have come in as a result of the COVID reorientation. Um, but we haven't seen, right, we've seen this uh, war footing narrative. We've seen this uh, war footing uh, initiative to produce vaccines, but we haven't seen any similar reaction from the government to solve the staffing crisis. So there's no possibility of the Nightingale hospitals being used this year if there's a problem with the NHS. But what, so what is the solution? Can we imagine what the solution might be that's going to be offered? Well, let me tell you what it is. Moderna is planning a triple vaccine targeting flu, COVID and RSV just by coincidence. They're building off their fantastic success uh, for COVID-19 vaccine and they're going to sell the world a triple vaccine targeting flu, COVID and RSV just Absolutely coincidental it happens to be those particular uh, viruses. Do you think it'll be emergency use authorization again, Mike, or do you think they'll do the proper uh, due process on developing that vaccine and testing it, doing observations and follow-ups and clinical studies for, you know, five to six, seven years? Uh, I think that the uh, emergency use authorization was used to shoe in the first uh, raft of, like, get, get past the first hump. Since that point, 
Uh, there's basically been no problem about getting updates to vaccines without even getting emergency use. Uh, they're, they're just they're just throwing them out there. So the, I don't the, think the regulators like the Matador. If you watch Portuguese bullfighting, which I'm an avid fan of, um, that's how our regulators operate with the pharmaceutical industry. Right. So just watch the Portuguese bullfighting, and you save all the technical jargon. Um, okay, so lots of people have noticed this particular contract and have been uh, uh, sending it to us. So I thought we better mention it. Uh, this is an NHS framework agreement for the supply of direct oral anticoagulants for the NHS in England. Now, uh, a framework agreement uh, gets a value of money. They won't necessarily spend all the money on uh, the actual uh, procurement once it gets into full swing. Uh, so it's a sort of up to amount. But nonetheless, the amount of money that we're talking about here is absolutely staggering. So over the next three and a half years, they intend to spend £3.1 billion on anticoagulants. Now, uh, we, uh, the UK column, me, Ian Davis, uh, have searched the um, Contracts Finder database for similar, because direct oral anticoagulants are used by the NHS at the moment. About 80% of people that need some kind of blood thinner are using uh, DOACs. Um, and uh, so they are, there obviously is a procurement process in place at this point in time, but we can't find any previous uh, contract that's anything like this scale uh, on the database. Now, I'm going to put the caveat on that, that, that the search engine on the uh, Contracts Finder data, database is not very good. Uh, and so I'm quite happy to say that it may be because it's just rubbish that we can't find them. But nonetheless, we can't find them. We find the timing of this very interesting and the scale of it absolutely fascinating because despite the fact the NHS claims that, uh, you know, on its long-term plan, it's wanting to deal with uh, various cardiovascular problems that might require these kinds of drugs. Um, I'm not clear that, the, that there are cardiovascular problems of the scale that require this. I could be wrong, and if anybody thinks I am wrong, then please let me know. So the question is, why are they doing it? Obviously, people are suggesting that there's some kind of link between uh, this contract and uh, the vaccine rollout and the blood clotting issue. I can't say whether that's true for sure, but certainly it's something to think about, and perhaps we might... Uh, put Doctors for COVID Ethics on screen at this point and their, their latest uh, letter to physicians for new scientific discoveries regarding the safety and efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines. Um, and uh, well, discovery number one, SARS-CoV-2 spike protein circulates shortly after vaccination. Um, and they make the point that the spike protein uh, mo molecules were produced within cells that are in contact with the bloodstream uh, and released into circulation. That means A, the immune system will attack those cells and B, the circulating spike protein molecules will activate thrombocytes. Both effects promote blood clotting. Uh, this explains why many clotting uh, related adverse reactions, uh, stroke, heart attack, venous thrombosis that are being reported after vaccination. So I don't know for sure whether that's part of, part of the reason for this particular procurement program, but I think that's a question that needs to be asked. Yeah, and, and that paper is important. If people go to Doctors for COVID Ethics, there's four research papers, yes. um, very uh, uh, accurate and hard-hitting new research. And there's a, a, we're told there's a fifth paper uh, that's also coming out this week as well. So it might, there's just a, a barrage of evidence there to not just suggest, but to point to a very real problem about a product that has been rolled out into the public on a mass scale and has not been tested properly, uh, not even in the medium term, forget about the long term. 
And so all the details of that are, are on that Doctors for COVID Ethics article, which you can find online. Now, speaking of Doctors for COVID Ethics, um, we've got a very important announcement to make uh, on Monday's program about with respect to Doctors, doctors for COVID Ethics. So please uh, pay attention to Monday's program um, for um, an announcement. It's going to be very, very interesting. But if you like what the UK column does and you would like to support us, uh, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community uh, and there are options for us to join us there and that uh, help would be very much appreciated and needed and also just uh, join in with the community and get yourselves uh, organized. Um, and also if you like uh, our stuff on the various platforms, do share it as widely as possible. That'd be very much appreciated. Especially on the, uh, the video sharing platforms uh, as well, Mike. Yes. And uh, there's a lot of activity now building up on some of these other platforms. So we're really happy encouraged by the, the amount of engagement on Odyssey, uh, Brand New Tube, and, and Rumble as well. Yes. And so, where does that take us, Patrick? It well, takes us back to T-shirts. Well, well, we're, we've got a few left. Uh, loving the old normal. This is the, uh, it's, it's kind of an unorthodox protest shirt, Mike, as protest shirt go, but people seem to like it. This isn't just a T-shirt. It's turning into a movement, Mike. There's so many people that have grabbed these. Uh, and a lot of people will be wearing this at the event on, on Saturday or at the, uh, at the end of August as well, I'm sure, or wherever your local event is. But loving the old normal here, chocolate brown, go to the UK column shop, community shop there. You can get this, pick up one of these limited supplies, Mike. We're in our last round right now of these T-shirts, and they won't be available on the UK column shop after that. We're all essential on the back. Everybody's essential. And we love the old normal. We want to get the old normal back. Uh, the old normal is not perfect, Mike. It needs to be improved, but it's better than the new normal that Klaus Schwab is uh, selling and the uh, great resetters at Davos. So pick up one of those if you want to start a conversation in your community. Yes, absolutely. And that brings us on to tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah, there is a big event planned in London. Now, this is uh, according to the Organizers here, this is not a march. This will be a, quote, static rally. It means it'll be in one place and they won't be going through central London like in past events. So it's going to be a very different sort of picnic in the park. Uh, we're told there's going to be some speakers there. So it's going to be a very interesting gathering, different from the past ones. We'll see uh, where it's going to be. The locations will be announced at the last minute here. Just go, these are the details to the Telegram group here. But if you're linked up with Stan, uh, any of the main uh, activist groups there that are uh, promoting these freedom rallies, you'll find out the details of this event, sure enough, or from your friends well, uh, on the grapevine. But uh, that's and there's me. a Telegram uh, channel uh, on the on that slide there. London official worldwide rally. Yeah, that's the general one. So I'm not sure about the details. No one knows quite where the location is yet, but yeah. that'll come out probably uh, this evening or something, yes. maybe tomorrow morning for some people. Okay, so where does that take us? Israel, Mike, just, just a quick uh, preview here. Uh, this story is interesting. The, on the Pfizer shot, the vaccine given to nearly all Israelis, well, not quite all, but quite a lot, large percentage, maybe the largest in the world, uh, is now just 39% effective against, quote, infections against COVID, while being only 41% effective in preventing symptomatic COVID-19, according to new stats from the uh, Israeli Ministry of Health now. The question begs the question, Mike: uh, are, Does the virus behave differently uh, in Israel, or does the vaccine behave differently with Israelis than in the rest of the world? Well, the answer probably is no. Yeah. But 
the way that people are doing and punting around their scientific clinical studies, especially the pharmaceutical industry, you have to ask these questions here. And there's one of the news sources, Times of Israel, UK data, uh, well, Israeli UK data offer mixed signals on vaccines potency against the, the, the feared Delta variant. Yes. Okay. So you'll be talking more about this in detail, hopefully on, on Monday. Monday. Yes. You're going to do a proper analysis looking at the data with regards to efficacy, 95% effective. Where do they get that figure? Well, the Times of Israel saying there, Israeli and UK data offer mixed signals. Uh, in fact, the UK data is probably closer to the Israeli data than the Times of Israel is uh, suggesting there. But we'll, as, as you say, we will have more details on Monday. But sticking with Israel, Patrick, uh, you'll be glad to know that Oramed Pharmaceuticals is uh, rushing into the breach because we know that some people are hesitant to have uh, a, an actual jab in their arms. Um, and it's much more convenient just to swallow a little pill. Um, so they have decided they are going to launch an oral version of the COVID-19 vaccine. It's going to be what they call a game changer in countries with a low immunization rate. Uh, and uh, so this uh, Oramed Pharmaceuticals based in Jerusalem, uh, they've received approval from the Tel Aviv uh, Medical Center to, to uh, start a clinical trial on 24 unvaccinated volunteers for a single dose capsule version of the vaccine. Um, and... Uh, uh, they announced in March that they'd been testing the pill on pigs uh, and that they uh, had produced antibodies. Uh, so that's <laughs> really amazing. So there you go. Uh, the uh, chief executive of Oramed told the Times of Israel uh, that the trial for the pill was expected to start in uh, August. Uh, once it gets, gains the final approval from the health ministry, uh, our oral vaccine, he said, which doesn't rely on a deep freeze, deep freeze supply chain like, unlike other coronavirus vaccines, could mean all the difference between a country being able to emerge from the pandemic or not. But I think we're increasingly seeing that, in fact, uh, vaccines are not the way out of the pandemic in the sense that we're not coming out of it. Well, uh, the oral vaccine, Mike, uh, the only step left really is just to make it into Kool-Aid mix and pass it around. Uh, well, it worked for Jim Jones, didn't it? Indeed. So Now, what about the NHS app? How is it uh, going to work as a COVID vaccine uh, passport? Well, now this whole issue is coming out of the closet uh, big time. So the, it's now the mainstream media. And I love this. The mainstream media is like the Telegraph for pushing back on lockdown. They're all basically waving through the COVID vaccine passport. None of the papers are up in arms saying what an absolute attack this is on basic rights, mm. on basic liberties, on common law, on everything. Nobody's saying that. The press isn't saying that. So they're basically saying, oh, it's here. You know, nobody voted on it, but it's here. Uh, and this is just the way it's going to be. So the, basically how to use the NHS app as a COVID vaccine passport. I mean, the media has completely failed um, on, on their job as a fourth estate. They're, they're no longer fit for purpose. None of them are. If they allow, if they, if they matador this thing in, like the regulators matador through their pharmaceutical products, the, the, the press is matadoring through government policy. So again, the Spanish or the Portuguese bullfighting is very instructive again. So well, what, well, is, what does our vaccines minister have to say? Well, here he is, uh, Nadim Zahawi, known to some as Anton LaVey, has been speaking in Parliament about this very issue. Uh, and he said that this week after a successful trial, we've ruled out the NHS COVID pass. This allows people safely and securely to demonstrate their COVID status, uh, whether it's proof of vaccination status, test results, or natural immunity. So 
they're still uh, maintaining this notion that it's not just vaccination status uh, that that will count here. Um, and so if, you, if you're healthy, does that count as natural immunity? Uh, no, it does not. No, you've got to demonstrate antibodies. Ah, you, okay. have you have to, to be tested to prove that you're healthy. To prove that you're healthy, that's ah, true. Uh, so you got to be tested to prove that you're healthy. Now, if you don't have a smartphone and you don't have the COVID app, you can apply to the NHS for a paper version. So you should feel secure in that knowledge. Uh, but any, he went on to say anyone can access a, a pass via the NHS app or by calling 119 and asking for a letter. Uh, and he said, although we don't encourage its use in essential settings like supermarkets, other businesses and organizations in England can adopt the pass uh, as a means of entry where it's suitable for their venue or premises and when they can see its potential to keep their clients and their customers safe. But it doesn't seem to apply to the House of Commons, Patrick. The House of Commons will be not required to have, uh, none of the MPs will be required or other staff to have a COVID app in order to access the House of Commons. So again, we've got two rules going on here. Super essential. That's the House of Commons. Well, of course, right? of course they are. Why is that? Is that because they still have the safety tape down uh, down the middle of the House of Commons and the seats are all empty and they're wearing masks? Well, it's been, obviously you don't need a COVID pass to get in if you're not going in. I mean, if, if there's 650 MPs and 640 of them don't bother turning up, then it's not really a problem. It means it's safer in the House of Commons because there's less people and less potential spread of the virus, right? Uh, it's, probably, it's, yeah. it's much safer. So I yeah. guess they're going to keep it like that permanently, right? Yep. They do the press conferences it's, by Zoom? It's looking increasingly that, increasingly that way. Fantastic. Um, but uh, just give a quick heads up to a petition here. Outlaw discrimination against those who do not get a COVID-19 vaccination. The individual must remain sovereign over their own body. Discrimination against those who cannot uh, or will not be vaccinated against COVID is incompatible with a free democracy. The government must take uh, firm action to prevent vaccination passports and dis uh, discriminatory no jab, no job policies. So 302,102 signatures on that just before the news program uh, started. And uh, what that number was going, it was ticking up as we were, as I was watching it. So there are people signing this. Uh, I think the deadline for it is the 24th of August. Uh, but uh, do uh, go and have a look at that if you are interested. Mm -hmm. um, clearly, this is going to be considered for a debate. I'll be interested to see whether there is a debate. But nonetheless, as you've just seen, though, the government pressing ahead with uh, uh, the COVID pass uh, policy, uh, despite public opposition to it. By fiat. Yes. Do we know the threshold for signatures, Mike? To oh, the threshold for signatures to get a debate is 100,000. So it's already well over that. But nonetheless, it's still worthwhile if, if people want to uh, express a view. It's worthwhile expressing it because uh, even though they're over the threshold, it would be better to have a bigger number. By, by, by August 24th, it could very well uh, be. I could be wrong about that. That's just or, what that's just, just the date that so people should check uh, very quickly. More sure. Yeah, you know the thing that is, is uh, Nadim Zawari's comment that was interesting. Said uh, uh, businesses uh, that need to their customers to feel safe. Yes. Is that to feel safe from COVID or the corona lurking, or to make them feel safe psychologically? Uh, because to be within some kind of um, hermetically sealed, uh, digitized uh, environment that it makes some people feel safe that everyone else is complying. Because isn't that what we're seeing with masks? A lot of people who wear masks aren't afraid of coronavirus per se, but they don't like the fact that they're complying, they're playing by the rules, and other people aren't, mm. you see. So there's, there's kind of a social engineering dynamic to this that has nothing to do with medical 
uh, risks or anything like that. Well, that's correct. But as well as that, of course, it's uh, making people safe, feel safe from what? It's actually making people safe, feel safe from the fear that was government generated in the first place mm. because they created this. Well, in fact, it was the headlines back going back to January, February of 2020 that, that sort of led into the government narrative pushing this fear narrative. And as we know, Spy B in March absolutely highlighted the need for much more fear to be in the mainstream press as this narrative progressed in order to make people more compliant. So the the uh, the making people feel safe is only about making them feel safe of a fake story in the first place, because it was, it, you know, no matter what you think about uh, SARS-CoV-2 and uh, and so on, the, the, the narrative that has been built around it is fake. And the policies, the, the, the new crises are virtual crises springing from this kind of false global pandemic narrative. New virtual crises like pandemics have emerged yes. out of that. So from fake, you get fake and more fake. So this is the culmination of all of that, what we're seeing right now. And speaking of fake, let's uh, get on to Propaganda Watch. Well, Propaganda Watch, Mike, and this is the time when uh, we recognize we recognize the uh, uh, the leadership of this man, who is the mainstream media's ideological and intellectual leader, even to this day, and his name is Joseph Goebbels. And so this propaganda watch is sponsored by the MSN, Mike. And so let's take a look at the local press here. Look at this. This is unbelievable. COVID warning, uh, care workers. Uh, look, care workers who lost a husband uh, to virus urges people to carry on using masks. And But look at the propaganda. They have a picture of the, the sailing race above. So there's thousands of people out in the home, Mike, uh, bathing in the sun yeah. with COVID marshals around, by the way, which I thought was quite comical uh, in the real event that we went to. But it's a, but below that is COVID warning. So this is the essence of propaganda, yes. to have mixed signals to cause confusion. And again, they use these uh, single anecdotal stories like, okay, a care worker lost a family member. It's a tragedy. But how is that justifying telling everyone to carry on wearing masks when there's no scientific basis for it at all? Okay, so the media is doing this on the front page mm. constantly. They're using the headlines. But we'll move on to another report here. This is even more interesting, Mike, here, Western Morning News. These are two local papers here. Pack a COVID test kit for your holiday. So if you're planning on, so you forget about your foreign holiday. That's all knocked on the head. But you're going to do your staycation. Don't forget to pack your COVID test kit because there's a chance that you might be able to cancel that staycation by testing positive with one of these tests. So just as a backup for destroying your own uh, local holiday, keep that test kit packed up. Make sure the whole family are testing, especially test a few days before you've booked your holiday. That way there's a good chance that you could cancel the holiday. And wouldn't that be great? Because then you can stay home, save money, watch Netflix, and you know have a good time virtually. Kids can catch up on the gaming and all that. That's so much better than going to the beach and getting sand in the and car. Some, and some and, vitamin D from the sun. I mean, the last thing you want to do is that, for goodness sake. It's dangerous. You can get burned from the sun. Yeah. It's better to take your take your supplements at home. Yeah. So anyway. Okay, well, look, uh, we're moving on from Propaganda Watch, but only slightly because uh, we just wanted to highlight, I mean, this is a Tuesday Express, but it's in quite a number of, uh, of mainstream uh, papers. German reporter sacked after smearing mud on herself to claim she helped flood efforts. So this is uh, Susanna Olin uh, caught 
out, apparently, because, uh, well, what the Express says here, uh, when footage of her smearing mud on her clothes and face was posted online after she delivered a news report uh, where she claimed she had helped the flood cleanup efforts in Germany. Uh, but unfortunately, somebody saw her smearing herself with, uh, with mud and uh, they sent the video footage to her employer, which is RTL. Uh, and of course, it became public as well. Um, so uh, this was in one of the German towns that saw the heavy flooding. Uh, 128 people killed. Uh, so that, but it's not clear uh, whether she's actually been sacked or not. So the headline says she was sacked, uh, but actually the statement from RTL said, our reporter's approach clearly contradicts journalistic principles <laughs> and our own standards. We therefore gave her a leave of absence on Monday oh. after we heard about it. So I'm not clear how, whether a leave of absence is a sacking, but certainly uh, but anyway, she apparently was a familiar face in RTL and she'd part, been part of that channel since 2008. So, so a very, uh, you know, relatively senior uh, member of staff. This is a real humdinger of a story, Mike. I think she's going to get promoted uh, at the end of this because she, she's really going to be canonized for advancing the cause of climate change or climate change activism because the subtext of all of these headlines or were last week that, oh my God, extreme weather is hit. We must act now uh, to lower the Earth's temperature uh, in a couple hundred years or whatever by introducing our carbon policies uh, today. So that's what she was basically doing. The story itself wasn't good enough. She needed to really ham it up. Uh, absolutely uh, to correct. To cause that emotional. That's, she could get a job at CNN after this. That was probably, it could be a shrewd move on her part to go for a major career upgrade. I mean, CNN looks at that and they're saying, wow, that's talent. Yeah, well, we're going to show you a bit more talent. We're going to come back to the, the, the climate change thing in a minute, but uh, here's a bit more talent. Uh, this is the Chief Medical Officer's Annual Report uh, 2021. And uh, the upshot of this report, Patrick, is that old people die. Old people get ill and what they die. What a sensitive but... thing to say, Mike. No, this is what the terrible. This terrible. is what the report is saying. So older. So the main points are that older retired citizens who have more uh, and increasing health problems often settle in coastal regions, but without the same access to health care as urban inland areas in smaller seaside towns, uh, and therefore it's causing more difficulties. So what health care, by the way? Exactly. So here is uh, the wonderful Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer himself. He said, "Coastal areas are some of the most beautiful, vibrant, and historic places in the country." they also have some of the worst health outcomes. And that, that's basically the, the, the upshot of the entire report. And you can f summarize it in that one statement. So, you know, I've got to ask myself, what, what use is this person? I, I don't know. Maybe th th we should settle them in, uh, in a council estate uh, somewhere in London, Mike. Maybe that will be better outcomes. What do you think? Uh, better, better access to healthcare because being by the beach and having the, the clean air and the wind and the beautiful landscapes. According to Chris Whitty, that's just uh, the worst possible health outcome. Yes. So I don't know where these people get these talking points. No. Grip writers must be on strike. Uh, but let's uh, head down, uh, down the other side of the globe, uh, Southern Hemisphere, as you were saying earlier in the program, Patrick, Orwell's Australia. That's right, down under Mike, Orwell's Australia. Look at this, New South Wales, COVID stay at home orders in force. So what are we talking about uh, in terms of numbers, Mike? We'll show you uh, in a second here. But let's, let's look at the premier of Australia. Her name is uh, Gladys Berejinkilian. Uh, of, of New South Wales, this is? New South yeah. Wales, yes. Yeah. Uh, so she's in charge uh, down there, and she's ruling with an iron fist, much like 
uh, her comrade, Chairman Dan Andrews, at the People's Republic of the State of Victoria, just next door. But listen to what she says here, and we'll comment on it. The good news is we're picking up extra cases, not just with those who have symptoms, but through the testing we're doing of people working uh, and going out of the area has picked up a number of cases for people who aren't symptomatic. And that is a really important message. If you're living in a community that has a lot of cases, even if you don't have symptoms, don't assume you don't have the virus. Because in communities where the virus is lurking, where the virus is circulating, you could have the virus, not know it, and unfortunately take it home and give it to your loved ones. We don't want to see that distress caused in families and your closest people. So please make sure uh, that you listen to our messages regarding testing. So, Patrick, I'm, I'm particularly worried now because the virus is clearly lurking. And she said it, didn't yes, she? she? Lurking. Did. Lurking, yeah. Lurking in Australia, Mike. So what was, the, what was the thing that stuck out about that brief statement? Uh, uh, asymptomatic spread. They're still banging this drum as hard as they possibly can, despite the fact that there's no such thing. So, don't, so if you see people that aren't sick in Australia that are perfectly healthy, you should be very afraid because they could be, they could be carrying the virus. So again, must lock down, stay at home, stay at home forever. Australia is the beta testing ground for all great globalist policies, and they've really proven their mettle during the global pandemic and continue to be leading the world in uh, overreactions. Mike, let's take a look at their, uh, oh, we, we have another clip. Yes, we do. Dr. Yes. Kerry Chant. Uh, okay, so standing behind the premier was her chief medical officer there in New South Wales, Dr. Kerry Chant. She's saying, Mike, not only that, you need to avoid talking to people as well. Listen to this. Whilst it is in human nature to engage in conversation with others, to be friendly, um, unfortunately, this is not the time to do that. So even if you run into your next door neighbour in the shopping centre, in the Coles, while you're at Coles Woolworths or Aldi or any other um, grocery shop, don't start up a conversation. Now is the time for minimising your interactions with others. Even if you've got a mask, do not think that affords total protection. We want to be absolutely sure that as we go about our daily lives, we do not come into contact with anyone else that would pose a risk. That's Dr. Carrie Chant. She's laying the law down, Mike. Don't come into contact with anyone that might pose a risk, which could be anybody. Anybody, because they could be asymptomatic and therefore you've got to be afraid of them. Be afraid. Be afraid. This is the sort of tripe they're pushing down in Australia. Uh, it leaves us pretty much speechless, Mike. Yes. So they're rerunning the old script, but doing it with more zest and uh, You could gusto. say it's, it's more extreme. So, you know, what we hear from the mainstream press and, and the... Uh, and the government is that they're very concerned about extremism in, in countries. People are becoming more extreme. But actually, the largest extremism example we can find is within government itself, Yeah, right around the world. Well, they've been doing that internationally for years, Mike, and now they're starting to do it to their own populations with much more intensity. So let's look at the New South Wales uh, Health Department here. Just to give you some context, this, uh, context, this is from July 18th. But this is the numbers we're talking about here, Mike, for, for, for Australia and New South Wales. New South Wales recorded uh, 105 new locally acquired cases, PCR positive cases. No, probably likely. So are these real cases? Nobody knows. Only 105 
in 24 hours to 8 p.m. last night. So they're keeping, they're micromanaging the data on everything, right? But, but the key point here is, Patrick, because people in the Northern Hemisphere sometimes forget that this is their winter. Sure. We're in the middle of their winter at the moment, 105 cases. But a, a PCR positive. Yes. Test. Yeah. So, so where is the pandemic in New South Wales? Well, nobody knows because nobody's actually dying uh, from it. So look at this, the total number of cases in New South Wales since the beginning of the pandemic, they're keeping a running total from uh, February or March to 2020, is 6,753. Mind use, the population of Sydney on its own is roughly about four, greater Sydney, four and a half million, mm -hmm. five million or something like that. So, I mean, this is for the last two years, these numbers. So these are positive tests, Mike, uh, for, for the last two years. I mean, there's nothing going on uh, in Australia but a, a total government fascist takeover by the looks of it. I mean, they're really loving it and hamming it up. Question is how long till the people are gonna push back uh, in dramatic fashion. Well, what we're seeing in Australia, of course, is this zero COVID policy. And this is the policy which is gradually coming into European countries as well. UK, I've no doubt, is gonna head in that direction too. Uh, so here is uh, a report here. Zero COVID economies like Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia risk being left behind. Uh, the Economist Intelligence Unit said Asia Pacific's coronavirus elimination strategies are likely to under, undercut rather than support economic activity. Um, so they're saying that uh, uh, there's a risk that zero COVID policies will persist and border reopening will not occur in any meaningful sense in 2021-2022. The emergence of COVID-19 variants uh, that are resistant to current vaccines would quickly persuade zero COVID countries to retain their current approach. And in this context, the strategy may uh, even become more favored in other countries. Uh, and so they went on to say that although, uh, well, their claim, although zero COVID strategies had saved lives and delivered economic benefits in the short term, uh, they said that years of border closures would drive economic uh, economies towards self-sufficiency and would have powerful effects, including potentially straining international relations. Uh, visitors, in, uh, sorry, voters in zero COVID countries have become accustomed to minimal COVID-19 cases and may also perceive advantages from fewer tourists and fewer migrants competing for jobs. Well, really, uh, is the Australian economy, which uh, relies quite heavily on tourism, uh, is that going to, uh, are they going to be happy uh, to, uh, to con continue those policies on a long-term basis? I don't think so. But the key point here is these economies are suffering as a result of these policies, which we might say is uh, the policy for those economies to suffer, uh, because as we're just heading into the COP26 now, uh, this is the Great Reset. This is. The, the strategy is to tank the economy. And so those who are have access to finance, who have access to uh, the open windows of the Federal Reserve and other central banks, they're milking the system for every last bit of, of money and equity, and they're devaluing these current currencies in the process, further exacerbating the the, the crisis itself, and then just printing money, quantitative easing like it's going out of style to create such an economic calamity that they're going to be baying for a solution. And what is that solution? Uh, central bank uh, digitized currency with all the other little caveats to it uh, that we mentioned in previous programs. And that is the, one of the, the fulcrum of the Great Reset mm -hmm. uh, uh, agenda. And it's all based on, predicated on the idea, this is their sales pitch, that we need to do this to save the climate of the planet.
so let's talk about saving the climate of the planet. It's 100 days until the UN Climate Change Conference in the UK 2021, the COP26. Uh, this is uh, scheduled to take place from the 1st to the 12th of November uh, in Glasgow in the uh, Scottish Events Campus. Um, and uh, it's going to have an opening ceremony on the 31st of October. 30,000 people from 200 countries are going to attend this. Uh, so there's certainly not going to be any lockdown around that unless that changes. But, uh, but anyway, 30,000 people. You'll be glad to know, Patrick, though, uh, they are offering free vaccination to anybody that wants to go to it. Uh, but you don't have to be vaccinated, although you're going to be very uh, much encouraged to be vaccinated. And the UK government is providing free vaccines for any delegate that wants to go. That's very nice of them. Um, yes. Um, so uh, governments are expected to submit new uh, what are called nationally determined contributions to make sure that uh, global warming stays below two degrees. Um, before this, so far, 62 countries and the European Union have not done that. Um, and uh, and then, but the main focus of this, of course, is going to be climate finance. But they've released an agenda. That's very. I appreciate the text is very small on that, but this is their their graphic. Uh, so they're going to have a World Leaders Summit. They've got a big section on finance, a big section on energy. Of course, energy, well, nobody's building the energy infrastructure in order to pursue the policies that they're, that they're heading for. Uh, they're going to be looking at youth and public uh, empowerment uh, and uh, look, looking at adaptation, loss and damage. Uh, gender, gender is a big climate issue, uh, Patrick. I'm sure you didn't know that, but it is. Of course it is because, uh, you know, we need to focus on the role of gender in controlling the Earth's temperature. Yes. Uh, transport, of course, that goes with energy uh, and cities, regions and built environment, because, of course, the city's agenda is extremely important uh, to the climate as well. Um, well, actually, perhaps it is because, of course, the more urbanization you have, the more localized heating you might have, but that's not because of carbon dioxide, that's because of radiation. But anyway, that's and, all and, other And issues. Chris Whitty said, it's not good to be out in the countryside, Mike, because you don't have access to healthcare. Bad health outcomes if you're on the beach and in the beautiful coastal areas. Yes. So all the people who retire there, Chris Whitty is telling you, turn around, move back into the center of your cities, get back into those council estates and uh, get on those waiting lists in the city for healthcare. You don't want to be on the waiting lists in the rural areas because that's bad health outcomes. Uh, indeed. So 100 days to go. UK Column, of course, will be uh, bringing you all the best information possible uh, with respect to COP26. I'm sure it's going to be an extremely exciting event. Indeed. indeed. I'm looking forward to it. Are, yes. are you going? I don't know. Cancel the I have to see whether we can get accreditation. When, I think, uh, yeah, maybe we maybe might. We, can, yeah. we might be. We might be. Yes. I don't think we're going to get accreditation for some reason. I, I don't can, know. I don't I'd see be why surprised. Not these days. But anyway, what's Joe up to? Well, look at uh, old Joe Biden. So, what's going on internationally here? Stirring trouble internationally. There he is. He's looking a little bit confused. This is a photoshopped image, by the way. He doesn't look that young. Uh, but uh, he's done a U turn, Mike, on what? In the Nord Stream 2. Pipeline. No, Joe's... no, he can't have because he hates the Russians. Well, yeah, because it's uh, the, 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 it's all about the Russians with the Democrats. So where does this leave that whole narrative of Donald Trump was a Russian agent? I mean, Trump was hard on Nord Stream 2, sanctioned it, uh, was blackmailing the Germans to dump LNG uh, on, on the German market just so the Russians couldn't finish this pipeline here. So, you know, maybe some control there. 
from Vlad over Biden. What do you think? Some some compromise, uh, maybe? Some more Russian interference in, U in U.S. politics? Is, is that what's going is on? Is Joe being blackmailed by, by, by the Russians? I don't know. Who knows? But let's take a look at the story uh, itself here. U.S. won't block completion of Russia's Nord Stream 2 pipelines. This is massive, okay? This is a big U-turn from U.S. policy, really, from the Obama uh, administration here. So Biden waives U.S. sanctions on Russian pipeline. So that's going ahead. The problem with this story, Mike, is it's going to cause confusion. We're trying to figure out how did this even come to be. The Greens are not going to like this. In particular, one person is really not going to like this is Greta Thunberg. And so she's very, very angry at Joe Biden. She won't forgive him for it. But it, what, so what's Biden doing? You know what he's doing here, Mike? Because by, by waving this pipeline through, it kills the U.S. LNG market. So for the Greens in America, for the radical wing of the Democratic Party, this is great. He just killed the fracking industry. Yes. So, it, but, so it's give and take in this game. But, but So what's going to happen here with Joe, though? The Greens in Europe are not going to like this, Mike. They're not going to like this. What are they going to do? So we know, we, our sources tell us that Extinction Rebellion is planning a German invasion. Uh, as a result, and they're going to be sending in this crack squad of, uh, I don't know what they are, Mike, penguins or ravens or whatever. They, they deployed these to the G7 in Cornwall. You can see they, they, came, up, they came on shore, Mike, and they just wreaked havoc amongst Cornwall there in Carbis Bay. So these are planned actions by the opposition, Mike. And if it gets really serious, XR will, Extinction Rebellion will be deploying this platoon. And these are the ones you got to be afraid of. These are the wild red banshees of XR. And so if, if, if they deploy this, Angela Merkel is going to have her hands full yes. there. So I think that they might, they might even do a U-turn on Biden's U-turn. Imagine that, a full 360-degree turn. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well, look, we will leave it there for today. Patrick, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and, and have a great weekend if you're if you're heading to London or wherever you are. There's a lot of events happening in local areas, so we hope it's going to be a great day. Might not be as sunny and hot as it has been no. this week, but nonetheless, there's going to be a great opportunity for people to get together and to uh, share each other's company and experiences. Yeah, and, uh, looking forward to another great week next week. Yes, indeed, we will be back at 1 p.m. as usual on Monday. Uh, as Patrick says, have a great weekend, and we'll see you then. Bye bye.